gives you an illustration of the results of good synthesis. And I would encourage you to read it, to check yourself out, to think your way back through the process to see why he came up with what he came up with and what you can learn. Second book is the first book I was exposed to when I really got serious about studying the Word, James M. Gray's Synthetic Bible Studies. Very old, but still very, very helpful. Now, the next series of books I would strongly urge that you look into. It's a series of books put out by Irving Jensen, who wrote the book Independent Bible Study, to which I referred earlier called the Bible Self-Study Series. This is not so much the product of synthesis as it is the process. And Jensen will ask you the right question to get you into the book for yourself. He'll give you some excellent charts, some very good and very helpful material. But at the same time, the greatest profit of the series will be derived from your investment. The series is available from Genesis to Revelation. So he has a book usually on Genesis, one on Exodus, etc. Occasionally he will put two books together like First and Second Samuel. But these are little booklets and they're excellent for group studies. But I would encourage you to use them as well for your own personal study. It'll give you both a means of checking up on what you are finding and also a means of motivating you. The next book by Robert Lee is also an illustration of the method. Frankly, I find it a little extreme, but many people discover it very suggestive in terms of stretching their thinking and if so, that's helpful. The next two books I would definitely have in my library. They are books by G. Campbell Morgan, The Analyzed Bible, Living Messages of the Books of the Bible. G. Campbell Morgan had only two books in his first pastorate, the Bible and a concordance. That's what made him G. Campbell Morgan. That's why most people are still fishing out of his pond. And the series, Living Messages of the Books of the Bible, was a series which he preached through the Bible one Sunday night on each of the books. And you'll see some good samples of what can be done in terms of the practical value of each of these books in terms of light. Scroggy, a more recent writer from England, W. Scram. Graham Scroggy, Know Your Bible and the Unfolding Drama of Redemption. I would highly recommend these as resource books. Good to have. Now, do you have any questions before we turn to the book of Jonah? All on the track? All right. Yes, sir. Page three, number three. Mm-hmm. How's he seeking to develop it? The interrogative. 
gave the example of Malachi and said there is insensitivity was it the questions that Israel asked back to God? That's right. That gives you the outline of the book. That's its format. And by the way, the Apostle Paul uses this rather extensively in Romans. His whole method is a question and answer approach. So you have some very good illustrations of that. All right, now let's look at Jonah. There are ten paragraphs in this book. Three in the first chapter, three in the second chapter, two in the last two chapters each. Now, let's get involved in the process. This will smack of the workshop. So you're going to have to hang in there with me because I'm going to be interacting with what you are telling me by contribution, trying to demonstrate for you exactly what is involved in the process. You ought to take some notes so that you see the process as well as the product. All right, the first chapter, there are three major paragraphs, 1 to 3, 4 to 10, and 11 to 17. Uh, let me give you a little input. Please note the conjunction with which each paragraph begins. Now, then, did I say then? I did, I wrote it down. It's wrong. But, then. That's the story. The now, but, then chapter. Yes, I'm using an American standard of 19.1. What do you have, the new American standard? The RSV, right. He puts four paragraphs. Where does he change uh, the second one, Lauren? Uh, one, two, three, four, six, seven. Right. This involves uh, verse 7, and that's interesting. So that what you would do is have two subparagraphs in here, and it's interesting to see that relationship. So that's, in other words, you're not hung. You just got a further subdivision. That's a good way to compare them. And I think we'll see why when we get into it, when I start asking you some questions. All right, now, what do you have in the first paragraph? Give me your title. Let me take a couple titles. See if you got this in mind. Paragraph number one. Give me a couple titles. What's one title you've got? Somebody. Fleeing servant. Is this the only time he flees? Well, that's what you would have to test it by. And when I first start working through a book, I often come on something like this and I'll put that down. Because that's obviously what's happening here. Then later I will come back to refine it to show he's fleeing from something here, he's fleeing from something else there to show the relationship. Okay, give me another one. Yes, sir. All right, Jonah says no to God's calling. It's a beautiful title. Is there any limitation to it that you see? Yeah, the danger is length. Two, four, six. Generally speaking, I would say if you can stick with two, three, or occasionally four words, you're better because it's much more synthetic and summarizing. 
That's a beautiful expression of the contents of this paragraph. So sometimes I just take out one thing. No, God, to give a summary. Now again, we'll have to find out if he says no to God at another time. And then what's the difference? No, God, no, go, God, would be one. Hey, that's good. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yes, Bob? Ooh. That's a nab one. What are you using here? Yeah, alliteration's artful aid. And don't be hesitant. You don't think it's as an important means of communication? Look at the billboards. Next time you drive down the highway, listen to the ads on radio. Watch the ads on television, and you will discover this is used very extensively because it's a graphic way of communicating. Ticket to Tarsha's. Anybody got another one? Anything more analytic that you would say would really just not particularly creative or anything, but really gets the content of this paragraph before you? All right? All right, here again. Jonah disobeys God's commission. Two, four, okay. That isn't too extensive. Now that's going to be very interesting. So let's hold on to that one to see what else we can relate it to. Way in the back. All right. Now, all we're doing now, of course, is what? Yeah, amplifying, stating it in a dif different way. And by the way, sometimes I will come up with eight or ten titles to a paragraph because I'm going to use them in different ways in the process of teaching. You see, the art of teaching is the art of saying the same thing over and over again in a different way. And one of these may leap out and give me a tremendous title such as my ticket to Tarsha's title. One of them may give me something that I'm going to use for an overall summary. I'll show you of this in a moment. Now let me take just one word out of this list, the ones you gave me, and I'll show you what I do. I take one word. It's the word disobedient. And I summarize that paragraph. All right, let's look at the second one, 4 to 10. What happens in this paragraph? It's on board ship. What happens on board ship? God storms ship. God storms ship. Hey, man, why? Let's not lose these gems. Anybody got another one you'd like to try on for size? Okay, there's a good illustration of one. Now, sometimes, you see, when I get down to here, I get conflict. Oh, I say, this is the conflict. If that's so, what might I have up here? Give me another C. The commission. I've already got a word. 
the calling. And you keep asking, how in the world do you get these things? That's how you get them. So you keep playing around with the thing. So you keep working. You keep coming at it from a half a dozen dis different directions. And by the way, in terms of alliteration, if I ever have to work at it, I forget it. One guy was sharing me about somebody who came up with all F's for every title. Well, I came up with all P's for every paragraph in the Gospel by John. You should see it. It is horrible. <laughs> I turned it into a professor. He said, man, I spent most of my time reading this paper looking in the dictionary. Why well, I had words that I had never heard, neither had anybody else heard. <laughs> you know, trying to force this thing into it. I never force it. If it comes, great. If it doesn't, forget it. But what you will discover is the more you do this kind of thing, that is drawing up a list of several titles, the more it will give you possible ideas. And when our brother says conflict, see, that immediately says something to me. Because now I've got to find out how does this paragraph relate to the first paragraph? How did the conflict get started in the first place? Well, it got started with a commission. Anybody else have a title for this one? Yeah. Ooh, God exposes Jonah. By the way, that's a beautiful word, very graphic, very simple, very expressive, because that happens to be the key to my next word. And that is discovered. Now, all you're using, you see, is a synonym for exposed. Well, let's look at 11 to 17. Since we're into D's, we've got to go this way. But it's very simple. There's a person who can't think. Yes. Dumped. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Now, I used a high-powered, sophisticated term, discarded. <laughs> Well, you gave me a better one. And you gave me a better one because it's more graphic in terms of a contemporary audience. And whenever I can pick up contemporary language from the people to whom I ministered, that goes on the chart. And I'll show you as we move through this how I will use this chart in a very specific way with servicemen, giving the whole pitch a military pitch. Now, you know, when I'm out at the university and, you know, a guy from Dow Chem Chemical is, you know, up for grabs, they're really not interested in the military approach. You better forget it. They'll nail you to the wall. But when I'm out at the base talking to a bunch of servicemen on Jonah, see, I got a tremendous pitch. That's part of what I was talking to you about, the process of preparing and delivering messages, and that is you gear it to the audience. You know the best thing to do, and the thing that I, I get more excited about anything else, and that's to work with high school kids on it. You should see the stuff they come up with. You talk about grabbers. Oh, many come up with the most graphic type of lingo to put on this stuff. 
And of course, the average adult, see, he'd blow his mind if I handed that out to him. But for this kid, boy, that, that talks to him. It speaks to him in his language. And I got a group of hippies in Bible study. You should see the stuff they come up with. It's unreal. In fact, I'm going to publish some of it. It's that good. They come up with, with, they're so plugged in oftentimes to, you know, just the earth, earthy, that man, beautiful stuff. In fact, the last time we were together, they said to me, hey, Dad, can you get some straights to come out here? I said, well, I don't know. I'll have to work on it. Why? Well, they said, you know, before we came to know Jesus Christ, the thing that turned us off about your generation is that you take one look at us, look at our hair, our clothes, our sandals, and go. And now that we've come to know Christ and we're growing in the Word, we don't want to be guilty of the same thing and cut you off because you have short hair, you wear three-button suits, etc. And I thought to myself, man, you know, how profound can you get? See, that's a full circle because we can't even get them in the church. They rot the socks of the saints. Okay. We got one chapter. Let's try two. Now, this is one that's a little more difficult because it's a prayer. But I want to give you a clue. Whenever you come to something like this, look for connectives. There are three connectives in this prayer that give you the paragraphs. The first one is then. The next one is yet. And the third one is but. In addition to that, there is a change of pronoun in each of these sections. The major pronoun here is I. The major pronoun here is thou. The major pronoun in the last is a combination of the I-thou relationship. Now see if you can tell me why. What's he doing in the first six verses? in terms of prayer. Let's put prayer up here. Give us a title for this. What's that? All right, not yet, is he? Yeah, he's talking about his distress. What's that? He's talking, he's reflecting in here, and particularly in terms of what? Himself. So we got a passage in which he's confessing. Then beginning at verse 6 in the middle part, going through verse 8, what's he doing? Start doing something very significant. You know that by the thou. You. Who's he addressing? God, talk back to me. Who's he addressing? God, what's he saying to him? What's that? He says, only hope. So he begins to praise the Lord. Praising God. What's he doing in 9 to 10? 
Is he? Promises to obey. And he says he's going to do what about the vow? Going to make it. So, we may put promise, or you may see it in terms of a theological concept of repentance. He's confessing his sin, he's praising God, and finally he's promising the Lord in terms of what he's going to do. All right? Now, let's try chapter 3. Where in the world is my stuff? There we go. Chapter 3, you have two paragraphs. Chapter 4, you have two paragraphs. 1 to 4, 5 to 10, 1 to 5, 6 to 11. Now, beginning in chapter 3 and verse 1, what happened? God calls Jonah the second time. Oh, now, look what I do. Look what I've got. <laughs> look what I had. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So now I know that this is commission number what? Now, I discover we've got commission number two, or recommission. So what does that tell me took place between chapter two and three as far as the book is concerned? Is there any clue? Division. Beautiful. So I got a major seam possibly there. So now I've got the possibility of a break of the book between chapter 2 and 3. First two chapters, the original commission. Last two chapters, the recommission. We'll test that out. All right, let's look at these paragraphs. What do you have in 1 to 4? Return to Nineveh. Return to Nineveh. All right. Is it a return? Well, the question is whether he got there in the first place. Tarshish is a long way from Nineveh. But he's told, if we put it in the form of a command, return to Nineveh, go back to Nineveh, then we might make it into something. Anybody else got a title that you tried on? You tried with that one? Nineveh Crusade, hey. Boy, oh boy. The Nineveh Evangelistic Association. See, he, boy, you talk about Billy Graham, friend. You know, even he doesn't have the whole city come out. He has the whole city repent. Lock, stock, and barrel, top to bottom, king on down. Pretty impressive campaign. All right, what's in 5 to 10? That's the crusade. Nineveh repents. Yeah, he really does. That's beautiful. 
Hey, now that's an even better way of stating it. Dual repentance. That's a good title for that. I like it. Now notice what we've got here. I deliberately took just what you gave to show you how you have to polish this up. Because who is the person in this paragraph? Jonah. He's the preacher. Who are the people in this paragraph? Yeah, here we got the people of Nineveh. That's the audience. So what's the relationship between this chapter, I mean this paragraph and this paragraph? Terms of, what's that? Cause effect. Man, gal, go to the head of the class. Where you are, get your umbrella up. <laughs> Beautiful. You see, he preaches, the city repents. That's the cause of which this is the effect. Now, I'll show you what more intensive observation will do for you, and this is the value of living with a passage. If you look very closely in these two paragraphs, you will discover there is one word repeated. It's the word cry. There is the cry of impending judgment on the part of Jonah. There is the cry of immediate repentance on the part of Nineveh. So I call it the chapter of two cries, and now with Harv's suggestion, the chapter of two, of dual repentance. Now I'm picking up all kinds of stuff. Okay, let's go on to the last chapter. What do we got here? Yeah. Preacher pout. What do you mean? Preachers never pout. Do they? Do navigators? They, they don't. That's why let's leave it with preachers. <laughs> your problem is if you look in the Hebrew, you will discover that he was an ass. That's the value of knowing the original language. <laughs> this is amazing. See, because you also have a cause-effect relationship here, don't you? See, it's the repentance of the city that leads him to power. Well, you'd think, man, he'd sing, Praise the Lord! Amen! So all stand and sing to God be the glory! Great things he hath done! No, he goes out, sits under his little tree... Praise his little prayer. Okay, Lord, that's enough. It's 30. Take me home. See, he's turning in his prophet's badge. <laughs> the only problem is that there's no place for prophets to resign. Oh, I love that passage. Well, let's go on to 6 to 11 to see if we can get something else. What do you have here? Love lesson taught. Love lesson taught. Ooh. 
me ask you one question. Who is the center of this paragraph? Who is the center of this paragraph? And that's the whole conflict of the book, which is all brought to a climax right here. See, this is the chapter of two cry. This is the chapter of two hearts. And what the Spirit of God does is He tears the bandages off the heart of the prophet. And you look in, and it's not a particularly encouraging sight. Then he tears the mask as a wear off of his own heart, and you look right into the heart of God. See, what's he concerned about? Himself. Little gourd. Now don't laugh, man. If you didn't have air conditioning, now don't laugh, man. If you didn't have air conditioning, you'd appreciate your little gourd. It's a shade. He's sitting under this little thing, boy, getting his air conditioning. See, and all of a sudden, a little worm goes, and down comes his umbrella. And he says, man, now what will we do? Take me home. You know, can I just stop long enough here? Because I've been here all week, and I already sense that there's some of you people who are greatly depressed. And that happens to be the number one problem in the ministry. You know, I tell people that my greatest problem in the ministry is depression. They almost laugh in my face. You? Ah, oh, come on. You'd never know this unless you knew me personally. And the interesting thing is, every major servant of God goes through strong periods of depression. And you pray, Okay, Lord. Turning in the contract. <laughs> Dear Lauren, it's enough. So well, you, you think that's somebody else, right? No, that's you. And it's real interesting to watch the way God deals with depression on the part of his servant. See, he doesn't say at the end of this, Okay, Maroney, go get the club. We'll work them over. <laughs> See, that's the Christian's point of view. If a brother be overtaken in a fall, you are spiritual, club him. <laughs> know that verse? No, restore him, just like the Lord does. So he never scores him. He just says, look in my heart. Now, this book would not make a good Christian novel because it doesn't end happily ever after as far as the book is concerned. It's obviously obvious that Nona responded to this because he wrote the book.
But as far as the book is concerned, it ends with his prophet with his little crying towel saying, I've had it. Now, let me show you what you do with this type of thing. Just feast your eyes on this, brethren. Man alive, this is beautiful stuff. See, and once again, most of you don't know what you're seeing. Man, look at that stuff. Look what we got by just working our way through ten paragraphs. And the interesting thing is, and don't memorize these, that's worthless. Get your own list. But you see, I can take you through ten paragraphs without ever looking at a book, and I've never once memorized this thing. Just total absorption, personal exposure, your study, you went through the process. Now, the interesting thing is I take my students through the book of Habakkuk, and that's an interesting experience. That's a first-year class, and I've run this test now for years. I give the student the book of Habakkuk. He never gets that book again in seminary. He never once has to memorize one thing in my course, much less the book of Habakkuk. When he graduates, I can sometimes meet him 10 or 15 years later, give him a piece of paper and say, give me the argument of the book of Habakkuk, and i got to whip it off and give me the whole thing. And he's never studied it once. And I say, give me the book of Romans that you memorized 20 times in courses that he still can't give me. See, the process is as important as the product. And you've got a whole book of the Old Testament, four chapters under your belt, if you can simply remember a few things, and again, in terms of your expression, three paragraphs in the first chapter would show the progress of his response to God's commission, the prayer in the second chapter, beginning with confession, occupation with the Lord, finally committing himself to fulfilling his vows. Second commission comes in the third chapter, there are two cries, the cry of Jonah to repent, the cry of the people in their response, two hearts, the heart of Jonah, the heart of Jehovah. Now all you got to do is get 65 more books under your belt. And you can work on that this afternoon. <laughs> now, let me show you what you do with these goodies. Because I take that, and I'm not going to take the time now because I want to spend it in more important things, to show you how I take this book and summarize it in a chart. This is the first commission. This is the second commission. And a major seam right down the center of the book. Two divisions. One and two, three and four. How does the first commission begin? With what? Yeah, that's the commission, both of them. And by the way, they are exactly the same. This is interesting. Rise, go, cry. Rise, go, cry. What's his response initially? Does he obey him? Okay, so it starts in disobedience. How does it end at the end of chapter 2? Repentance. So obedient. Second chapter, how does it begin? Rise, go, cry. Does he do that? Yes, he does. So it begins with obedience, and it ends with what? 
take me home, which is not his decision to make. See, that's the plot of the book. And what I like to do sometimes is to take a book like this and use a simple thing like this. It's Jehovah's revelation of his will to the prophet, and it's Jonah's response. Rise, go, and cry. The revelation is the same in both cases. The response is, first disobedience, let's head for Tarshish. God brings him around. He responds in obedience. The second one, obedience, ends in disobedience. Now, one of the things that I like to do is to make a chart where at the bottom of it I put some summaries. I want you to help me with this to show you how to do it. We're going to put Jonah on TV. So we've got to get some sets. And we're going to make it a two-act play. Two scenes in each. All right, where are we going to set the first one? Where does that take place? You did read this book, didn't you? Where's chapter one take place? On the sea, all right, and in the ship. Where's chapter two take place? Fish. That's going to be an interesting set to devise, isn't it? Inside of it, see the ribs, the lining, whatever it is up there. That's, that's fascinating. Where's the next one take place? Nineveh? Where does the last chapter take place? Yeah, put it right out the suburbs. And we've got to be sure to get our little gourd and a little worm. Oh, man, we need some real sharp artists here. Real creative individuals are going to be able to create that scene with that little gourd and sitting under there. And a little worm comes up, bites it. <coughs> That's beautiful. All right. Now, let me ask you this. Let's approach it biographically. In what direction is the prophet going in the first chapter? He's going away from God, right? Second chapter? Return back to God. Third chapter? With him, fourth chapter, ahead of him. Take me home. Now, let me show you something that I just delight to use, particularly when I'm working with kids or somebody. This is the value of any form of visualization. I just use some simple arrows. In the first chapter, he's going like this. In the second chapter, he's going like this. In the third chapter, he's going like this. And in the fourth chapter, he's going like this. Now, I presented this to a group of kids in a high school conference some time ago. And the interesting thing is, I met a kid about four years later. I hadn't seen him. He was in college. I said, how are things going? He said... and by the grace of God. You know what he had remembered? When he had forgotten all of my nice things, he would remembered the visual, that this is the pattern of a spiritual experience. 
Now, I said to you that I use this thing in a military way. And the way I do it is to compare the beginning and the end. And I say, we're going to study the A-W-O-L prophet. See, he was absent without leave as the book opens, and he's angry without love when it closes. <laughs> I gave this in Barber's Point over in Hawaii, and the interesting thing is we got a student who's now at the seminary, and he said, you know, Prophet, I've never forgotten the A-W-O-L Prophet. Now, again, you see, to a military man, this is very expressive. Now, I'm talking to high school students, then I got an altogether different approach. All right, let me add a couple things on. Let's take prayer. Very interesting that you have prayer in each chapter. What do you have in the first chapter? Prayer and what? Why do the sailors pray? Text tell you. Fear. We got prayer and fear. What about the second chapter? Yes, uh, and it's obvious in terms of his, of his plight, but what is it that he really comes out with that's very obvious? His repentance. Oh, we got prayer and faith. You got something very specific that the Ninevites did in prayer. What was that? How did they repent? With what? So we got prayer and fasting. What do we got in the last one? Well, I call this prayer and foolishness. And the interesting thing is, that's the only unanswered prayer in the book. See, he answers the prayer of the Ninevite, I mean of the sailor. That kind of blows your mind, because he's not supposed to. But he just didn't hear your explanation. He did. Answers the prayer of Jonah. Answers the prayer of the Ninevites. Tremendous pagan city. The only unanswered prayer in the book is Jonah's prayer, Lord, take me home. Did you ever thank God for unanswered prayer? You ever think of all of the ridiculous things you ask him for? I used to have a woman in the church where I served in Aurora, Illinois, who had designs for me in terms of her daughter. Don't misunderstand. She wanted me to marry her daughter. She told me every week, it's God's will. She come with a verse of scripture. The Lord told me. I said, it's wonderful, madam, but he never informed me of the fact. Finally, she said, uh, I had a dream that you were married to my daughter. Well, I have another title for this. <laughs> Finally, she got so exasperated, she said, you're supposed to be a man of God. I didn't see why you can't see it. I'm going to pray for you. Well, do you ever thank God for unanswered prayer? It's a tremendous blessing. And I think of some of the absolutely moronic things I asked God for. I'm so glad he didn't answer them. And we won't tell anybody, but I dare say there's not too many people in this room who hasn't some time or other, when you're really down at the bottom, probably broke, broken clean through, who prayed the same prayer. Okay, Lord, it's enough. Take me home. And here you are. Maybe after coming to the seminar, you wish he had. 
Now, summary, there are all kinds of ways of doing this, you see, but the value of this type of thing is that on one sheet of paper, such as I have on this little 8.5 by 11 that I scratched this stuff on, I got a whole summary of a book of the Bible. I got enough on that chart to keep me going for four hours without halfway trying. Or if you say, I'd like to get an overview of the book of Jonah, I say, how much time you got? Well, about 15 minutes. Sit down. And I'll give you 15 minutes worth. You got five hours? We'll give you five hours worth. But you see, this is in summary form. It's just like you women taking your orange concentrate. And you take the little can, you pour the thing in a pitcher, and you put four can full of water in the thing and stir it up, and we got some good orange juice. No, that's what you do, teaching and preaching. Now, just stop to think of what you'd have right now if you had uh, one of these on every one of the 66 books of the Bible that was yours, that you had gone through, hammered out. Would you like to have one? Okay, you only got 65 to go. Get started. And this is what I've got. Only in many of these, I've got scores and scores of these things. Because every time you come back to it, you see more. So you keep adding. You'll finally get so crowded, you can't put anything for it. That's why I just recently jotted this one down, just to get all of the other stuff out of it and the essential stuff I wanted into. But you see, I can take that one thing with me. And by the way, when you get into this kind of ministry, it's amazing how many times you discover people. You know, they never tell you what you're going to do. When I get off the plane, he says, uh, Hendricks, I forgot to tell you that uh, during this week of meetings, we're uh, also on a television program, and uh, you wouldn't mind speaking on that, would you? And furthermore, the women in the African Violet Society would like you to <laughs> come over and talk to them. And we also have a men's prayer breakfast where we study the Word, and uh, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, and you wouldn't mind taking that, of course. And then we're also in a radio series, and we thought we'd run 13 of those off while you're here. <laughs> and believe me, are you ever glad that you just didn't pack in your little suitcase, you know, the specific notes for the specific meeting? And it's mighty good sometimes to have one of these that you can shake down where you're ready to go. You know, my friends, you can take the book of Jonah, and I didn't take the time to show you all of the possibilities in this in terms of teaching, but just stop to think of this in terms of discipleship alone. See, what a message on discipleship. Here's the Lord's disciple. You know, where are you in this process? You know, you're running away from him? You're running back with him? You really serving him? Or are you asking him to take you home? Because you've had it now. See, and you could take so many different approaches to it. Man, I wouldn't insult you by sharing ways with you. Because I happen to know that most of you could come up with as good or better ones than I could come up with, for your group particularly. The longer you look at it, the more profound it becomes. Now, any questions about this? Yes, sir. Oh, I just, uh, I got a six dozen of these things. Let me see if I can remember them coming up on this one. 
I had uh, the prodigal prophet. Here I had the praying prophet. Here I had the preaching prophet. Here I had the pouting prophet. That's just a summary. Yeah, these are summary titles that I use for the chapters. And by the way, I come up, you see, sometimes with 10, 15 of these things all the way down. Because every time I come at it, I'm going to approach it from a slightly different point of view. So I'll be able to say the same thing over and over again without what somebody suggested last night, meaningless repetition. You come out at a fresh, creative way. Yes? That's right. In fact, I will show you tomorrow morning the book of Genesis on an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper and Exodus and Ecclesiastes and the whole Old Testament. <laughs> See, because, you know, obviously, how much are you talking about? We're just talking about a summary. Now, I can take that one sheet summary, see, and I can put 50 charts underneath it of little details, but to get an overview so I can think my way right through the book of Genesis, 50 chapters. This is helpful, Lauren. <coughs> Oh, yeah, you mean in this? Beautiful. Now, here I took, see, a subject like prayer, which, of course, has doctrinal implications. One of the things I love to do is to put the attributes of God in each of these chapters that are prominent. That's great. Yes? When you come back to studying the book of Jonah again, do you start uh, by looking at what you've done previously? No, that's... To me, fresh. Now, it's impossible to completely divorce your mind of what's gone before because it's so deeply in my mind, you know, that I got a tremendous chasm between two and three. You know, because I've been doing it this much, obviously. And I, furthermore, I've convinced myself that's where it is. But uh, I find that if I go back to my original stuff, then I structure my thinking again and I don't see freshly. So I just keep putting all kinds of stuff underneath it. Then when I want to teach or preach it, I get a wad of stuff. And out from this, I can take what would be appropriate for this audience, the circumstances, the amount of time I have, etc. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Occasionally, I'll show you. For example, right in here, one of the important paragraphs is 17. And if you'll notice it in different versions, you will discover that sometimes 17 is thrown with chapter 1, sometimes it's thrown with chapter 2, because that's what we call a hinge verse. It points in two directions. It points back in summary. It points ahead as an introduction. So I usually make it a separate paragraph. In this one, verse 1 is the introduction. Verse 10 is the climax of the prayer. And in terms of what Lauren was suggesting in this one, you have a subparagraph here because in this one you have the setting and in this one you have the sequence. That's the reason they made two paragraphs out of it. Though it's dealing with one event. Somebody else? I thought I saw another hand. Yes, Dave? Not each paragraph initially. I start with a chapter there, Dave. 
And then, in terms of what your wife was asking before, then my backup charts will go by sections on this, which deal with every paragraph. Because that's what confirms or invalidates or enriches my original study. <coughs> Fifty chapters, that's an assignment to get it on one page. Yeah, Lauren? Now, originally you had to put insights over the whole book. Yeah. That's right. Now, see, so you're ready to really go at it. Now you got an overview of the book of Jonah. You don't know everything that's in it but you got a good idea of what it's all about. Now you're really ready to go. And you can see how much, if you go back and look at that list of impressions we came up with, we'll see how much those impressions enrich what we've already got on the chart. And that's why you see that much, because you've conditioned your mind through those impressions to see it. What I'd like to show you tomorrow is to whet your little old appetite with some samples done by laymen, done by kids, done by teenagers, by hippies, etc. I think I have one by a hippie. Anyway, by people in various backgrounds to show you how they took this type of approach and put it in a visual form so that it would summarize for them large body material. And you'll see what you can do. Because this afternoon, I'm going to talk to you about creativity. That which you have, but are not even aware of, and in most cases, they're not even slightly using. There's more creativity per square inch in this room than you have ever seen in any other collection of people. But it's never been tapped. So, we're going to try to tap a little of it. So, I'll see you.